Welcome, welcome, welcome. I would like to welcome you to episode 383 of the Unpopular Podcast. This is the man, the myth, the legend, Jalen Hunter. And here at the Unpopular Podcast, not only ask you to agree with me, I'm asking you to hear me out. One question that surrounds the NBA yearly is what is the criteria that they go by to determine the MVP? I think one of the biggest reasons why it's a question is because it seems like the criteria changes every year. Sometimes you can say it went to the best player. Sometimes you can say it went to the best player on the best team. Sometimes you can say while it didn't go to the best player, it went to a player that the team has a better record. Sometimes it goes to a player that has the best statistical year, but maybe their team isn't in the best place standing-wise for the playoffs. The criteria for the NBA MVP seems like it changes every year, and that has always been a question and I think a point of frustration for NBA fans, especially towards the end of the year when they discuss the MVP. Well, you're starting to see that type of conversation, that type of discord articulate in the NFL this year. It seems like almost every week there is a new leader, a new candidate for the MVP. And the question that you have to ask yourself and the question that is being presented to us is, well, how do you determine an MVP? We always know that the MVP 9.9 times out of 10 goes to a quarterback. But how do you determine that? Do you determine the, the player that took their team to heights that nobody expected going into the season? Do you give it to the player that their team has the best record at the end of the year and they have played a major part in that? Do you give it to the player that may not have the best record but has had so many, let's say, iconic moments throughout the season that you just have to give it to them? One of the biggest issues in sports in general is the lack of consistency when they give out awards. The only consistency that the NFL has when we talk about the MVP is that 9.9 .9 times out of 10, it goes to a quarterback. Now, yeah, there, there were instances where it didn't go to a quarterback, but more times than not, it's going to a quarterback. Why did I start this episode this way? Well, on Thursday Night Football, we saw the Seattle, well, the Dallas Cowboys beat the Seattle Seahawks 41 to 35. And the conversation, the discord, the rhetoric coming out of that game is Dak Prescott now should be the front runner for the MVP. Now, don't get me wrong. This the, the Thursday night football game was great. It was back and forth. Geno Smith was incredible. DK Metcalf was incredible. DK Metcalf alone had... 134 yards, three touchdowns, six tar six receptions. Geno Smith threw for 334 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Dak Prescott threw for 299 yards, 
three touchdowns. CeeDee Lamb had 116 yards on the day and one touchdown. It was a good game. It was a good back-and-forth game. It wasn't a blowout. It wasn't two bad teams playing on a Thursday night, which is hilarious. Because did you see the promo for next Thursday when it's supposed to be, I think, the Bill, I mean, no, the Patriots and the Steelers? And they had Bill Belichick's picture up there. It was hilarious. But it was a good game. That was the first time, well, when they played, that was the first time the Dallas Cowboys beat a team that was over 500 and they looked they looked good there were times of course where both teams didn't look too well but overall it was a good game i'm not going to poo poo on the game pretty much but the conversation coming out of it has been so interesting to me now let me give credit where credit is due Dak Prescott has been incredible this year. Dak Prescott has looked like an MVP candidate majority of this year. I am not, I wouldn't be upset if Dak Prescott won the MVP. I wouldn't be upset if somebody said he deserves to win the MVP because Dak Prescott has played well. But then again lies the conversation of, well, okay. Let's look at Dak Prescott's season in totality. He's been great. Don't get me wrong. He has done what he's supposed to do. I think that's a underlining conversation that a lot of people have for the negative when it really shouldn't be. The conversation is the Dallas Cowboys haven't beaten anybody outside of Thursday Night Football, haven't beaten anybody that had a winning record. And every time they played a team, before the Seahawks that had a winning record they lost and that has always been well yes when you say the latter half as as far as when they played a team with a winning record they lost that obviously is negative but I wouldn't look at Dallas hasn't played anybody as a negative as much as I look at it as well Dallas has done what they were supposed to do there's a lot of times we've seen teams that should be in position to win or should dominate a team and they ultimately don't or they ultimately struggle through the season we're kind of seeing that with the buffalo bills the buffalo bills should have a much better record than they have now they've lost to the giants they've lost to the jets like that no When when Dak Prescott goes up against these teams, he looks dominant. He looks like the arguably the best quarterback in football. And that's what you're supposed to do when you're playing teams like that. So people kind of use that people use that argument as far as Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys haven't really played anybody as a negative, which you can paint it as a negative, but you can also paint it as a positive. But it goes back to my question. What determines an MVP in any sport? Dak Prescott has been great. Dak Prescott, I think he has 20 touchdowns to two interceptions. And this obviously is coming after a year where he, I think, led the league in interceptions. 
last year or at least was second. In all accounts, Dak Prescott has been much better than he was a season ago. You're seeing improvement. We're seeing improvement. And he looks like every part of the MVP of the league. But I think what's confusing and I think what frustrates people is that conversation changes nearly every week. Remember maybe three, four weeks ago where Lamar Jackson was the front runner for the MVP? Or before that, Patrick Mahomes was the front runner for MVP? Or just two weeks ago, you had Jalen Hurts as the front runner for MVP? I'm not saying none of them are deserving of MVP. I'm not saying that. Lamar Jackson currently has the Baltimore Ravens number one in the AFC, which has shown itself to be a very tough conference this year. And the AFC North, which has shown itself to be the best division in football. Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles are currently 10-1. and Patrick Mahomes statistically is still Patrick Mahomes, and Patrick Mahomes is still the best player in football. These convers- the, So I'm not upset that we're having these conversations. I'm not upset that the names that you're hearing in these conversations you continue to hear. And I'm not upset at all. Let's, let's, let's get out the way. I'm not upset at all. I just think we as a fan base need clarity. The same way that the NF- NBA needs clarity as far as what is the rec- what what are the requis- requisites that you need to have to be an MVP because it seems like it changes every year. One year or it goes to Steph, one year it goes to Giannis, one year it goes to Nikola Jokic, one year it goes to James Harden, one year it goes to the Russell Westbrook. All in those years, LeBron James can st- still be considered one of, if not the best player in foot basketball. So how do you determine who the MVP is? Now, I'm not saying that none of those players deserve the MVP. Don't get me wrong. All of those players are incredible. All of them had incredible seasons. I, we just want consistency. Now, again, going back to this topic, I wouldn't be upset if Dak Prescott won the MVP. He was doing what he's supposed to do. You're dominating lesser opponents. And on top of that, he has looked damn good and he has improved greatly in with he's improved greatly in the area of his biggest weakness, which of course was turnovers last year. I wouldn't be upset if Lamar Jackson got it. I wouldn't be upset of Pat. I wouldn't be upset of anyone got it, honestly. I just think we need some type of consistency as to how we determine that. Now, the argument that can be made, and it's a good argument, but the argument that can be made is, well, how are you going to have a consistent criteria to win something, but the game is not consistent? Players are not consistent. Players are people. So obviously things change. People go through highs and lows. I get that. 
And they're absolutely right about that. Nothing, nothing in sports stays consistent. You can look at the Patriots dynasty and think that was consistent, but look at the Patriots now. Something, things always end. Things always change. That's just how it is. Some players can have an incredible start to the season and just end horribly. Some players can have an, an, an a horrible start to the season and end incredibly. It's just there's no consistency in sports. So how do you expect the MVP criteria to be consistent? And that, in and of itself, is a good point. Great point, actually. And I'm not saying that the qualifications to be a MVP needs to say the same. But they can't be wildly different. For example, Russell Westbrook, I believe in 2016 or 17, 16, I think. Russell Westbrook won an MVP. He led the league and finished the season averaging a triple-double which warranted him the MVP. The Oklahoma City Thunder, I believe they just they were like the sixth seed or something like that, so they kind of just squeaked into the playoffs. They ultimately didn't make it out the first round, but Russell Westbrook, this was the year at, this was the year Kevin Durant left. He averaged a triple-double, won the MVP. The very next year, the very next year Russell Westbrook yet again averaged an MVP. And yet again, the Oklahoma City Thunder were in the same position that they were in a year ago. He didn't win the MVP. James Harden won. We can even go to last year. Or we can we can compare last year to the year before. The year before, Joel or Nicole Jokic won the MVP. This was his second straight MVP. The Magic were amongst the top teams in the West. They ultimately didn't win, but they were amongst the top team in the West, and Nikola Jokic had one of the best statistical seasons we've ever seen from a big man. Well, his runner, the runner-up, Joel Embiid, he was pretty much in the same predicament. The difference was... The Philadelphia 76ers were not in the same predicament as the Denver Nuggets. And Joel Embiid led the league in scoring as a big man. Didn't win the MVP. The same exact thing for both players was what we saw last year. And they gave it to Joel Embiid. I'm not saying that things that, that the criteria has to stay the same, but they can't be wildly contradictory to themselves. This isn't a Dak. I'm not crapping on Dak Prescott or the Dallas Cowboys. I think Dak Prescott has been amongst the best quarterbacks in the league this year. But... Don't have a player win an MVP for something. 
or not for something. Don't have an MVP, a player win an MVP. Do the same exact thing they do a year later and don't don't win it. I just say I'm not saying the criteria has to be the same. It just can't be wildly different or wildly contradictory contradictory to themselves. But I think that the underlining conversation that I'm having with this entire talk is that Dak Prescott has been great. I know he's one of the more scrutinized players in the league because of the team that he plays for. But Dak Prescott has been incredible. And I'm not as far as I'm not there yet saying that this Dallas Cowboys team is a Super Bowl contender. Saying as seeing as though I just need to see more of wins against better opponents. The Seahawks win was great. I just need to see more wins. I, again, they I think they play the Eagles in two weeks. So that we're really going to see just exactly who the Cowboys are going against a team that a lot of people deem is the best team in the NFC. But put all that aside, Dak Prescott and this Dallas Cowboys team has been incredible this year. They've been much better. Now, I knew that they should be good because of their rec- uh, the, 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 the schedule. But I just I didn't think they were going to be this good. I didn't think that Dak Prescott was going to completely do a a, a a 180 on his turnover ratio. Again, he was one of the most, even missing games last year, he was one of the most turnover prone, if not the most turnover prone in football last year. It was him and Josh Allen. To now, I think he's at 28 touchdowns to two interceptions on the season. And... In this Thursday night football game, you saw everything that you, that you needed. They were down, they they had a lead. They lost the lead. They fought back. It was a back and forth game, and they won. <laughs> Dak Prescott needed to make big plays. He needed to make big big passes. He didn't throw an interception this game. Every CD Lamb was targeted. 12 times, which is, well, he was targeted 17 times. He caught 12. And when you have a number one receiver like CeeDee Lamb, 17 to, to 20 times is is pretty much that sweet spot, especially when you got it going. Hell, DK Metcalf didn't need a lot. Of, when you know you're a number one receiver, he didn't need a lot of targets. He had eight targets, six receptions for 134 yards. That is a number one receiver. So I'm not I, I, I'm not gonna go as far as say that this Dallas Cowboys team is a Super Bowl caliber team yet, but they're definitely in that conversation. And before we get off of this, the Seahawks. The Seahawks to me kind of suffers from that Jack uh Dr. Jackal and Mr. Hyde. Syndrome. When they're 
they can be considered one of the best teams in football when everything is clicking. When Geno Smith has it going, when the running game has it going, when the passing game has it going, when the defense has it going, when Pete Carroll is dialing up good plays, this team, the, the Seattle Seahawks, can beat anybody. And when I say anybody, I mean anybody in the NFL. But then you have the other side. And I, I think that Everyone has bad games, and everyone can have a week or two where they just don't look good. I think the difference between the Seahawks and everyone else is how drastic that change is or that the, how, how good they look compared to how bad they can look. Now, Thursday night wasn't one of those bad games, but... What Thursday did show is they're not as buttoned up as we'd like to believe. And that has been the issue with some Pete Carroll teams. Now, I'm not saying that this Seahawks team is obviously terrible. I'm not saying that. Now, I'm also not saying that this team is undisciplined. That has been an issue in the past for Seattle Seahawks teams. And I'm, but I'm not going to put it on this. But what I will say is, yo, let me see if I can pull it up. How many penalties? The Seattle Seahawks had 10 penalties. Now, the Dallas Cowboys had nine of them. But damn near every single Seahawks penalty was in a costly situation. It, it, whether it was a pass interference, a ref in the pass, or a, a in, neutral zone infraction, it was pass interference again. Like it, it just the those penalties killed them. And on top of that, some of the play calling in the fourth quarter was a little iffy to me. Now I'm not putting this loss on anybody. It was just one team was better than the other, but. When you put, when you talk about the penalties, and I'm not saying that they didn't commit these penalties either. Like, I know how people say, well, that's the ref. No, 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 no. The Seahawks did what they said they did. What the ref said they did. It's just, it's such a jackal and Mr. Hyde type thing. They can look like world beaters. Then they can look like, God, this team sucks. That's that's what the, it, that's the, the pendulum that you have when you're dealing with the Seattle Seahawks. And that's one of the biggest reasons why I have a very tough time even putting them in a Super Bowl conversation or a deep playoff run conversation. They can be scary. And I think that's the conversation. And that's the phrase that you use a lot when we talk about the Seahawks. They can be scary. But on top of that, they can also get in their own way. And they can also get destroyed by a team, which we saw against the 49ers just a week ago. They got destroyed by the 49ers. So, this Thursday night football game was good, man. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I'm, I leave that game thinking two things again, and I'm about to move on. One, well, three things. One, the conversation around Dak Prescott should be the MVP leader 
which is the same conversation that we had just a week ago or two weeks ago when we said that Jalen Hurts should be the MVP. Well, what is the criteria that you use to deem who and who is not an MVP candidate? That's something that to me needs to be a little more transparent than anything. Two, both of these teams are incredible. I'm not sure if I'm ready to say that both these teams are Super Bowl contenders, but when they're both on and when they're both playing as good as they're playing, they definitely can beat any single team in the league. And three, Thursday night football still needs to be. There, there's be no reason why these teams played off Sunday and now play Thursday. Just want to slide that in there. Sunday is a no. You know what? Let's uh, let me give my prediction. Since we're still talking about football or the NFL, let me give my predictions on Week 13 of the NFL season. We talk about this every week. Thursday night football to me, is the inaugural kickoff for the NFL week. And we just saw the Seahawks and Cowboys. So these are my predictions for the Sunday and Monday game in the NFL, starting with the Chargers at Patriots. The Patriots, they, they're they in such a bad spot right now. It's, I think it's been announced that Bailey Zappi is going to start and the saying is, if you have two starting quarterbacks, you don't have any starting quarterbacks. And that is the exact position that the Patriots are in right now. You don't, you can't trust Mac Jones and you can't trust ba- Bailey Zappi, but you have to go with one. And Zappi has been less of a problem than Mac Jones has been. But I can also argue, well, Mac Jones has played more than Bailey Zappi and had more opportunities. So I don't know. This is a game tailor-made for the Chargers. The Chargers have to win this game. I I say this a lot that, you know, these are must-win games for teams. Well, seeing everything that's going on with the Patriots and all the turmoil that's going on, if the Chargers can't win this game, I know the Chargers are one of those teams that refuse to fire their coach midseason, but if you can't beat a 2-9 Patriots team, that has Bailey Zappi starting, and not because he's just leaps and bounds better than Mac Jones. It's because they don't have a good option at the quarterback position. If you can't beat that team, even with Joey Bosa not being there, like, come on, bro. So I have the Chargers beating the Patriots. Uh, you got Lions at Saints. Both of these teams are coming off of a tough week. Of course, the Lions losing on Thanksgiving. And the Saints losing to the Falcons. I don't like what I haven't liked all season what I've been seeing from the Saints offensively. Defensively, we know who the Saints are, and we know that they have one of the better defenses in football. But offensively, they just continue to sputter at the worst moments in the red zone. And it just it I don't like it. And when you have the pieces that they have and the weapons that they have, it is so mind-boggling to me just how bad they are, not just in the red zone, but offensively in general. They ha- they You'll put up big numbers, but only have 15 points. Like, it's okay, bro. Like, something's going on here. And 
the Lions, they got embarrassed on Thanksgiving, losing to the Green Bay Packers. And I just think that all around, or when you look at both of these teams, this, the Lions are just better. So I have the Lions beating the Saints. Falcons at Jets. I did like the fact that last week, Bijan Robinson was more of a feature than he's been majority of this season. And the Jets have a lot of problems. I don't I know that the reports are Aaron Rodgers have co- has come back and they've opened the practice window for him, but I think it would be first of all, it is pretty much a medical miracle that he tore or he ruptured his Achilles and three months later he's back. So that's crazy. But I think it would be incredibly irresponsible not just to him but to his future and to the Jets organization in general if they were to rush him back and if they were to have him play at all this season you're four and seven I know that if you like rub the glass a little bit you can kind of see the playoff picture but the this the Jets there's Mekhi Becton's out. You have a bunch of players that's out. It's it's just let the season go. The season is a wash. It's a no. Aaron Rodgers should not play this season. And going back to Sunday, I just think the Falcons are in a better place for their organization right now than the Jets, especially when you see just all. I mean, you have Aaron Lazard as a as a healthy scratch, meaning it's the, the the writing's on the wall pretty much for him there. I just got the I got the Falcons beating the Jets. I just don't see both of these teams aren't that good, but the injuries and just the missteps are starting to pile up for the Jets. And I just I got the Falcons. Cardinals at Steelers. I'm gonna go with the Steelers. I think the Cardinals obviously have Kyler Murray and he has looked good, but this Steelers defense has carried them to a 7-4 and four record. Now, last week was the first week in months that the Steelers, not months, years, I'm sorry, that the Steelers had 400 or more yards total offense. And you can gain some, some yards against this Cardinals defense. I just I have the Steelers. Now that it looks like their defense or their offense has a new life, even though it wasn't the greatest, I, I still have the I have the Steelers beating the Cardinals. I just think the Cardinals are are just a bad team and they're too far gone for right now. Colts at Titans. Quite just kept the Colts have been one of the best team best. Ooh, the Colts have been one of the best defenses in football this entire year. And the Titans, as we've seen, con- they, they, they do the same thing week after week. And they, at some point, that that well is going to dry up. And that is just give the ball to Derrick Henry and he's going to save us. Well, as we've seen this year, that well has indeed dried up a lot faster than they expect. Derrick Henry, wide receivers have a shelf life, man. And I'm not saying that Derrick Henry's career is over or season's over, but Derrick Henry 
is not at that point in his career, at least what we've seen this year, where he can just be the bell cow back and he can he can run you to a victory. It's not Derek with the amount of hits that he has to his body and the amount of just physical tread that he has. He can't do that anymore. And I just think the Colts, even though I guess I trust Gardner Minshew more than Will Levis, I'll get I have the Colts winning. Uh, against the Titans. Dolphins at Washington. I'll tell you this. I think the game is going to be closer than projected, but I have the Dolphins winning. Uh, Jack Del Rio's out as the defensive coordinator. Ron Rivera's still there. The defensive or offensive line still isn't that good. In fact, this team hasn't really been that good at all this year. Uh, there's been flashes, but, you know, and the Dolphins are, are just a better team. And the Dolphins, kind of like the Cowboys, handle business when they play teams that are below 500. So I have the Dolphins winning. I think the sneaky best game of the week is going to be the Broncos at Titan or Texans. Texans know that this is a must win for them after losing to the Jaguars a week ago and trying to maintain a playoff run and the Broncos are the hottest team in football right now and they are on the outside looking in for the playoffs but it looks like they have a good shot when you look at the opponents that they play it's it's a lot of winnable games especially when you look at how they're how they've been playing both teams understand first of all both teams are coming them six six and five both teams understand that they need a win and I like, which is shocking to say, seeing as how I spoke on them at the beginning of the season, but I like how this Broncos defense is playing. This Broncos defense is playing like one of the best defenses in football right now. And you pair that to Russell Wilson, not looking like the Russell Wilson of old, but not making as many mistakes or nearly as many mistakes as he did a year ago. I got the Broncos winning this game. I think that the Broncos right now, they're riding a, a win streak. They're hot right now. And both units, both the defense and offense, are playing exceptional. Now, the Texans are playing good as well. But I think the Broncos defense is going to cause problems for the Texans, kind of like how the Jaguars defense caused problems for them last week. So I have the Broncos winning. Panthers at Buccaneers. At this point, I know Frank Wright got fired. If you lose to the Panthers, you got some issues. Uh, I have the Bucco, Buccos. <laughs> I have the Buccaneers beating the Panthers. The, no, I don't like Baker Mayfield as as a franchise quarterback. He hasn't proven that, but he's proven good enough to beat the Panthers. So I have the Panthers or Buccaneers beating the Panthers. Browns at Rams. I think Joe Flacco is going to be starting for the Browns. This defense is still good. I don't know the the health right now for Miles Garrett, if he's going to play or not. I, I have the Rams winning. I think the Rams are they're playing their best football right now, even though it's, you know. I have the Rams at this with the injuries that the Browns are having. And again, if Miles Garrett can't play, that is a huge, 
their three best players are out. So I have uh, I have the Rams winning. The best game, the best game, and the to me the most important game of the of the entire regular season, especially seeing how things have shaped up, is this week, and that is the 49ers at Eagles. I've said this before, and I will say this again. Both of these teams are jockeying for position as the best teams in the NFC, at least. I would probably go as far as to say that these two teams are arguably the best teams in football. You can you can probably put in the Ravens in there. You can put the Chiefs in there. But right now, how they're both playing, the 49ers and the Eagles are the best teams in football. And the only advantage I see that the Eagles have is obviously their quarterback in Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts is the thing that puts them, in my opinion, a, a tad above, or let me not say that. Having Jalen Hurts compared to having Brock Purdy is the advantage that the Eagles have. The advantage that the 49ers have is they do not have a weak position. Their offensive line is great. Their their running game is great. Their wide receivers are great. Their defense is impeccable. So I think that these teams are extremely well put together, extremely well built. And to me, the I will go down, even though the Eagles are 10 and 1 and the 49ers are 8 and 3, I will come out of this game saying that whatever team wins this game. Is the win is the best team in football? In my opinion, I'm I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with the Philadelphia Eagles, just because of Jalen Hurts. Now, no, Brock Purdy has played when when you have all your pieces, when you have all your weapons. Brock Purdy has played well. I think Brock Purdy has a seventy percent completion percentage. Like, he's been great. But Jalen Hurts is better, in my opinion. And when you're talking about a game like this that has – that it's 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 extremely close, in my opinion, I'm going to go with the 49ers. I mean, no, I'm going to go with the Eagles. I'm sorry, beating the 49ers. I think that this is a sneaky, tough game for the Chiefs, but the Chiefs at Green Bay. Now, I still feel how I feel about – Jordan Love. I think that Jordan Love has the potential to be a franchise type quarterback. I think Jordan Love has the skill set that could be a franchise quarterback, but he's just not there yet. And he has struggled majority of the year, even though he puts up a lot of empty numbers. He has struggled against good opponents. Now, this is they are coming off a win against the Lions, obviously, but the Chiefs are a little different. <laughs> I have the Chiefs winning. I know that Lambeau is an incredible, like an incredibly tough place to play, but you are the Chiefs, and a lot of the Chiefs' issues outside of the offensive line is is the receivers going to catch the ball or not? Well, I like what I saw from Rasheed Rice a week ago against the Raiders, and it looks like the chemistry between him and Patrick Mahomes are starting to develop. So. I think that the Chiefs are going to win this game, and I have the Chiefs beating the Green Bay Packers on Sunday Night Football. And Monday Night Football, I have 
or we have the Bengals at Jaguars. It's going to be the Jaguars, in my opinion. It, it, the the quarterback for the Bengals has not shown the ability to elevate this team the same way, obviously, that Joe Burrow is. Now, that would be incredibly stupid to compare a backup quarterback to somebody like Joe Burrow. That's no offense to um, who is. I think it's uh, Jake something. I'm going to look it up. Just, just give me a second, please. Because <laughs> um, I don't want to get this man's name wrong. I think it's Jake Browning or something. Uh, Bengals QB. Jake Browning, yeah. Uh, it would be incredibly naive to think that Jake Browning is on the same level as... as and and it would it would do a disservice to him to say Jake Browning is on the same level as Joe Burrow, but these these teams look drastically different, obviously with Joe Burrow and without him, and that's not a good thing. Um, and you're playing against one of the best teams in football in the Jacksonville Jaguars. So I have the Jaguars. They're coming off a win against uh, the Titans or Texans. I'm sorry, and. I think they only had one turnover. Again, they limit the turnovers. They're a great team. I have the Jacksonville Jaguars beating the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, yeah, man, that's 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 what I have. And I think Week 13 is going to be incredibly important. And there's some incredible matchups. Again, the 49ers and the Eagles are a big one. Obviously, uh, I think a sneaky one that's very important and going to be a very good game is the Broncos and the Texans. It's it's going to be a game. It's going to be a game. And it's going to be a week and I'm excited. Speaking of Sunday, man. Sunday is a big day for sports. Sunday you have obviously football, you have basketball, you have hockey going on right now. But Sunday is could possibly be an historic day for college football. You see, college football finds themselves, or the college football playoff committee finds themselves in a very tough situation. Now, I'm going to preface this by saying that at the time of this recording, it's about 5, 5.41. The, org, the Pac-12 championship has not happened yet. The Pac-12 championship is obviously at 8 o'clock. I'm shooting this before. I have to go to work. So I can't, you know. The, the college football playoff committee finds themselves in a situation that could ultimately shape college football moving forward now you're probably thinking to yourself jay you are extremely overblowing this and some people say well what is this what is he overblowing this is a very unique year for college football because you have a lot of good not great teams but you have you also have a lot of deserving teams to to 
make it to the college football playoffs. Well, the problem is, at least this year, the college football playoffs only four slots. And you have Michigan, you have Georgia, you have Oregon, you have Washington, you have Florida State, you have Texas, you have Alabama, you have Ohio State. All of these teams either won one loss or undefeated. The issue is all of these teams pretty much play each other. And why did I say that this could be a historic day or Sunday can find itself, the, the results of Sunday can be historic because this could be, I doubt it's going to happen. Let me first say this though. I doubt it's going to happen because we know money runs sports. Like we know that, that let's not be naive here and say that it's a comp- No money runs sports. And especially when we talk about college, college sports in general, the teams or the leagues, the conferences that generate the most money are going to get the most look. Let's just be let's just keep it a bean. And why I said that this Sunday can be historic is because this could be the first year in college playoff history that an SEC team is not in the college football playoffs. Now, again, I don't think it's going to happen, especially when we see it's, I mean, it's widely known that the SEC has been the best conference in football, has arguably the best two teams in football, uh, has one team that ain't lost in like 27 straight games. Like, it would be crazy to not have an SEC team in the college football playoffs. But let me play you this scenario. Currently speaking, and again, I am talking about this after or before the Pac-12 championship because the Pac-12 championship can decide a lot. Right now, you have Michigan. I mean, you have Georgia, Michigan, Washington, and Florida State. And just on the outside, I think at five you have Oregon, and at six you have, if I'm not mistaken, Texas, I think. Well, in the Pac-12 championship, you have Oregon against Washington. Well, Washington is fourth. Third, Oregon is fifth. What happens if Oregon beats Washington? A Washington team that beat Oregon by three points earlier this season well assuredly Washington gets kicked out Oregon gets put in right but what if Alabama beats Georgia in the SEC championship well then Alabama Georgia drops and Alabama goes up right but how is Alabama going to go up and how are they going to jump Texas who beat Alabama in Alabama. But then you have Florida State. And what does the committee do? Because Florida State plays Louisville in the ACC championship. Florida State lost Jordan Travis, which was their star quarterback. And I think anyone knows 
that if Florida State wins, it will be very hard to take them out of the college football playoffs. However, it's very understandable that whoever they play is going to be a considerable advantage to the opponent because offensively they're just nowhere close to the same team as they are with and without Jordan Travis. Well, what if Texas wins? What if Texas wins the Big 12 Big 12 championship? And no, especially after seeing what we've seen this year, nobody thinks Michigan is going to lose against Iowa. It could happen. And if that happens, then this the whole conversation is pretty much mute. But what happens if, as many people expect, Michigan beats Iowa? So now you look up. On Sunday, Georgia could have experienced his first loss against number eight Alabama or yeah number seven or eight Alabama Michigan probably will be propelled to number one because they beat Iowa Washington who's number three they just lost to the number five team in Oregon Florida State did just beat Louisville but they're going with an incredible disadvantage to themselves because they don't have their star quarterback. But then you have Texas winning and Alabama winning. So what does the committee do? Do you drop do you drop uh, Georgia out even though they did just win like 27 or 29 straight games? You, and they've been the number one or two or number one team this entire year. Do you drop them out of the college football playoffs after one loss? Or do you drop Florida State out? But how it, that would be incredibly unfair if you drop a team just because of player. The team is still good, but the player now, yes. If Florida State's in, any everyone, all the other three is praying that they play Florida State because, of course, offensively they're not good. But then you're pretty much saying that it's 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 a pro. You you, you care more about the product, not about what's going on. Do you do you put Alabama in and Georgia? But then someone's gonna have to go. Like more than likely, Florida State would probably go. But then how do you how does Texas win and Alabama jumps Texas? Do you put Oregon in? I think I think boy, let me tell you something. You know how crazy that would be if Oregon beats the the wins the Pac-12 championship and the Pac-12 is not represented in the college football playoffs? What what I think realistically would happen is I think all of this is a mute point if Georgia wins. If Georgia, and honestly, this is also probably a mute point if Washington wins too. And again, I'm recording this before the Pac-12 championship. 
But if Georgia wins, all this point is big, and that means you don't have to worry about Alabama jumping anybody because they just lost. But if Alabama wins, uh, there is going to be somebody that is deserving of a college football playoff spot and left out. I think when it's all said and done, the college football playoffs is going to be Michigan number one, Georgia at number two, Oregon at number three. No. Oregon at number three. And Texas at number four. No. And Florida State at number four. No. Mm, You see, this is even tough for me, and I have no stake in this. I think it's going to be Michigan at number one, Georgia at number two. I'll say Florida, Oregon at number three, Florida State. That's it. Michigan, Georgia, Oregon, Florida State. And Texas and Alabama, or Texas and Washington, Alabama, they'll, they'll be left out. Sunday's going to be tough for college football. Now, again, it's not going to be as tough, obviously, if Georgia handles business and beats Alabama. But if they don't, chaos will most definitely ensue. Let's let's move over to basketball, man. And I'm not going to break down everything that's happened, obviously, in this season because I feel like this podcast and this episode would take forever. But there have been some very pleasant surprises so far in the season and some unpleasant surprises, some things of concern. I don't want to talk too much about things of concern. I will stick on one team about concerning, but let's talk about some surprises, you know, some things that are shocking to me and shocking in a good way. Let's first start with one of the biggest question marks, head scratches that we had last year was why in the hell did the Minnesota Timberwolves trade for Rudy Gobert? Especially in today's NBA, Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns cannot play together. And I thought that it was going to ultimately plummet the team. And to be honest with you, last year, it didn't plummet the team because they ultimately made the playoffs. But you can tell just how disjointed it looked with Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert. And honestly, Anthony Edwards all on the same floor. It just didn't work. Well, this year, not only is it working... But as we currently speak, the Minnesota Timberwolves are number one in the Western Conference. Number one. The Minnesota Timberwolves, who were the eighth seed last year, that lost in five games to the Nuggets. I put on I put a video out, and I had a topic a couple episodes ago about who was the best 25 under 25 or best five players under 25 you know and at number three I had Anthony Edwards 
Well, Anthony Edwards has emerged as arguably one of the best players in basketball. There's, and because of his emergence, it'll, it, there's sometimes that there's a reason why that they say that there's only one ball. Because there, a lot of these players, a lot of basketball players, they, they, they've been the man their entire careers. They've been the man their entire lives, whether we talk about high school, middle school, uh, college, basketball, you know, NBA. They have been the man. And their, their sole focus, obviously, is to get the ball in the hole. <laughs> Pause. And some players don't know how to function without the ball because they've never really had to do that in their entire basketball life. So when we say that there's one ball, there are some players that literally don't know what to do with themselves and are not good at excelling off the ball. Well, you see that a lot in teams that have young stars or stars. It's like they struggle figuring out how to adjust. They struggle figuring out how to how to play and you're not the man anymore. But one thing that I do with, that you will notice is, and it doesn't happen all the time, but it, when it happens, you know. It's sometimes talent. Talent uh, dictates the pyramid of importance on the team. That's, that's always what it is. Talents, talent dictates the importance of the pyramid. Now, there's only one team that that doesn't really apply for, and that's the Golden State Warriors. While, yes, Steph Curry is the most talented and the most important, the next one is probably Draymond Green. And while I don't think he's the second most talented player, he is most definitely the second most important player for the Golden State Warriors. Well, I saw this to say, the Minnesota Timberwolves' talent has decided the becking call and the becking order for the basketball and one thing that i truly love and appreciate is people have accepted that so there's a lot of times people don't accept that hell we're kind of seeing what that we're kind of seeing that with the la clippers there's obviously a talent pecking order but People still think that they are who they are, and people are not been able to adjust to change yet. The Minnesota Timberwolves, you walk, you know Anthony Edwards is the player for this team. He is the best player on this team. And it everyone has followed suit. Carl Anthony Towns, it, it's not weird anymore because it was kind of disjointed maybe a year or two ago. It's like, all right. Carl Anthony Towns needs his shots. Anthony Edwards needs his shots. What's happening? And they just, they just it did, didn't look good of them playing with each other. And the fact that Anthony Edwards is is more of a shot creator for for other people and getting people open. It's the Minnesota Timberwolves are playing a beautiful brand of basketball, and they're actually one of the best. Actually, I think the best defensive team in basketball right now. And I, especially for a team that. When they made the Rudy Gobert trade, you knew they were going to be good defensively, but you didn't think that they were going to be a good team because centers like you 
gone are the days where you have two seven footers that can honestly play with each other. Well, if you have one that is one of the best shooting big men of all time, it works. So one pleasant surprise this has been the Minnesota Timberwolves and just how good they have and how good they've been. I'm sorry. And how Anthony Edwards has matured, not just as a player and a shot creator for himself, but a shot creator for others and as and a distributor of the ball. It it has been incredible. And the Timberwolves are one of those teams that are are ahead of schedule. This team, honestly, could compete for a championship. I don't think that they're going to, obviously, but I think they could. And that's how good they are. And that has been a pleasant surprise. Another surprise has been the Indiana Pacers. And it's not because of the record right now. They're currently 9-8. and eight. It's because the Indiana Pacers is a perfect example of what a team looks like when they know who's running the show. And what a team looks like when they have the supreme confidence in their in their point. The it people were beside themselves when Tyrese Halliburton signed the contract that he signed this offseason. I was a little taken aback. I was like, oh that's a lot of money for Tyrese Halliburton. I didn't think that we would get this Tyrese Halliburton. Currently averaging 27 points a game, 12 assists a game. And he has the Indiana Pacers. The Indiana Pacers, mind you, the same Pacers that was trying to get off of Buddy Hill. The same Pacers that had Obi Toppin right now, that has Bruce Brown, that has Miles Turner. This same Pacers team leads the league in offensive efficiency and leads the league in offensive scoring. They average 27.9 points a game. Tyrese Halliburton, and I said this, I said that there are going, when, when you come back from playing Team USA, most of the time, the players that experience Team USA and, and play with the best players in the world, they usually take it up a notch the, the season after. Now, there have been some players that haven't. I'm looking at you, Triple J. But Tyrese Halliburton has elevated his game to, the, to new heights, man. You look at it now, it's very hard to – there's not many – guards point guards that you would pick over Tyrese Halliburton and the fact that I'm saying this is insane especially seeing you know when he was when he was a cyclone at Iowa State no one thought he would be this good Tyrese Halliburton has been incredible and the fact that he's leading the Indiana Pacers a team that historically has only been good on offense a couple times when they have Paul George and George Hill and Lance Stevenson and them, and when they had uh, Reggie Reggie Miller. Outside of that, they haven't really. They don't have a storied history of offense, and they lead the league in scoring right now by a wide margin. The next closest one is the Atlanta Hawks, and they're t- and they average twenty three points a game. 
they completely clear every single team in the East in the Western Conference. It's incredible. Shouts out to Tyrese Halliburton. It's again the Indiana Pacers is a prime example of what happens when you in, in, in when you plug in the right point guard. He the right point guard, kind of like an NFL, and when you have the right quarterback. I know that there's more things that needs to be, of course, around the quarterback. Same thing as the NBA. There's there needs to be pieces around the point guard, but when you infuse a or when you insert a great quarterback, a lot of things get worked out because you don't have to worry about that position. You don't have to worry about the quarterback. You know the quarterback is going to put your team in the best position to win. When you have a point guard, that is the same exact thing. And Tyrese Halliburton has been incredible. And he is a big reason why the Indiana Pacers, in fact, he is the main reason why the Indiana Pacers leads the league in scoring. So shouts out to them, man. Uh, I'll talk about one negative. I'll talk about one negative and something that I it's kind of concerning to me. And that is the health status of the Phoenix Suns. When you put all your chips in the middle of the table and when you go all out, all in for a championship, that kind of leaves your margin of error or that shrinks your margin of error considerably because you're not banking on the future. You're not planning on the future. You're planning for right now. And you're pretty much putting your future at jeopardy for the now. That's kind of, that is exactly what we saw with the uh, L.A. Rams. You get Odell Beckham Jr. You get uh, Aaron Donald. You, have, you get, what's his name, Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cut. Like, you... You Cam Akers, you're for the now, and that ultimately won them a championship. Now you look up, the Rams are nowhere close to competing for a Super Bowl because they put all their chips in the table and it ultimately won for them. When you do that in basketball, that is what you, when you put all your chips in the middle of the table, your margin for error shrinks considerably because not only do you not have the the, the future to, to fall back on, but your your current is now in jeopardy. The, let's not get it twisted. The Phoenix Suns put all their chips in the middle of the table for this season. I'm not saying that is they're they're gonna break up next year, but when you get a when you, when you trade away DeAndre Aiden, when you trade away a Chris Paul, and you bring on a Bradley Beal. And you bring on pieces like Bol Bol, or you bring on pieces like Yusuf Nurkic, like Yusuf Nurkic. You're planning for the now. Nasir Little, you're planning for the now. And what's been so concerning to me is the health status of this team. Yo, Bradley Bill has missed majority of this season. I think he's only played maybe one game, if that. Actually, I don't even think he's played a game in the regular season. Devin Booker has missed time. And there's something that they say in, in, in football. 
and it's kind of true in basketball. If you're limping into the season, 9.9 times out of 10, you're going to limp out of the season. You don't get healthier in the season. That's kind of the same thing I feel about feel about basketball, bro. Basketball puts so much on your body, on your legs, and so much is exposed. It's like one failed swoop, and it, it could derail the season. We've seen that on several occasions. I mean, how many times – And I, let me knock on wood because I hope it doesn't happen. How many times have we seen someone fall on Kevin Durant's ankles out for 25, 30 games? You know? The Phoenix Suns put their money on this season. And Kevin Durant is playing at an all-time level. I think he's had nine or four or five, actually five or six, probably five or six straight games of 30 or more points. Devin Booker is he's been incredible, but you are when you get someone like Bradley Bill, you already know that you're sacrificing on the defensive side of the ball because we just I just named three players that have historically not been considered defensive players. The one time Kevin Durant has ever played defense, he was playing in Golden State. So you're playing, you're you're going to need to outscore people. Well, what if? One of the three, 33% of this equation is not there. It puts them in a bind. And right now, as we talk, the Phoenix Suns are 11 and 7. And they only average 116 points a game. To put that into perspective, the Oklahoma City averaged more than them. Dallas Mavericks averaged more than them. Atlanta Hawks average more than them. Pacers average more than them. Bucks and Philly. And Boston. So it's just the health. The, the, the concern is, yo, how injured is Bradley Beal? And how ready will Bradley Beal, Bradley Beal be when he gets back, if he gets back, which I hope he does, obviously. I don't, you know. But it is vital for this Suns team to get Bradley Bill back or to get Bradley Beal because I don't think he's played a game this season. I know they activated him once, and then that same day they deactivated him and said he's going to be reevaluated in three weeks with a back injury. One thing I know about back injuries is they don't get much better in season. So, yeah. Let's get on the good side, man. Who the hell would have seen the Orlando Magic coming? <laughs> the 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 concerns and the issues that I had about or that we all have about the Orlando Magic's Magic's Magic is roster construction. I came in saying, yo, you have Cole Anthony, you have Markel Fultz, you have Gary Harris, you have, oh boy, you have Jalen Suggs. All these people people are capable of playing guard. And of course, you have Paolo Bancaro, who kind of plays like a point forward at times. It's like, who is, how are they, this team is constructed horribly. Like, I did not see 
any positive in this team. Oh, and you just just drafted Anthony Black. I forgot about that. So I didn't see how this team was going to be any type of good. I just thought that there was going to be yet another year with just average to below average play. But as we currently speak, the Orlando Magic is second in the East. <laughs> the Orlando Magic have a better record than the Denver Bronx, Denver Nuggets, Dallas Mavericks, Oklahoma City Thunder, no, yeah, Oklahoma City Thunder, Phoenix Suns, like it, Golden State Warriors. It's it's crazy how good they are. Paolo Bancaro has been great. Uh, Fultz Wagner has been great. Like, I I am shocked of how good this team is. Now, I think that a lot of these teams are going to uh, even out towards the end of the year, obviously. But who would have known, man? Who would have known that the Orlando Magics are this good? And 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 there are so many people contributing at this point. Like I said, Cole Anthony, Paolo Bancaro has emerged. Um, Wendell, uh, Wendell M- Markel Fultz has been great. And again, Franz v- Wagner Wagner has been great, bro. Like, yeah, the Orlando Magic. If if you can give the most improved team right now, I'd probably give it to Orlando. That's how good they've been. Um, yeah. Uh I was going to talk about actually no. Another surprise has been Chet Holmgren. I remember I told you guys that I needed to see what he looked like on the floor. I needed to see what Chet looked like and how he was going to be able to fare against, you know, actual NBA talent. I know that he played a little bit in the preseason, but that don't do, you know, it's the preseason. Well, Chet Holmgren right now is averaging 17.9 points a game, 7.8 re- rebounds, 2.6 assists, and shooting 53.7% from the field. Chet Holmgren, in my opinion, as we speak, is currently leading uh, the charge for Rookie of the Year. He has the Oklahoma City Thunder him, alongside of Shea Gilders Alexander, have the Oklahoma City Thunder, I think, third in the West. Third in the West. And remember I said that this was going to be a sneaky year for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Like, this, that whole waiting for them to develop, they might have developed. And the Oklahoma City Thunder is great. And I needed to see what Chet Holmgren looked like. And he looks great, man. This Oklahoma City Thunder team is incredible. And... There's not a lot of holes, man. Uh, I'm not. I'm not gonna talk about it. So let's move forward to the unpopular topic of the day. Actually, no. Let me go back. Shouts out to Kim Mulkey. Uh, quick shouts out, Kim Mulkey, for winning her 700th game, which is the fastest in NCAA basketball history, both men's and women. The fastest two 700 wins i think she did it in uh 813 games that means she's 700 and 113 she she's incredible i mean you can feel how you feel about kim mulkey i know there's some it's it's kind of like you either like her you hate her i i don't really care too much 
about her. Um, and I'm not saying I, I, I'm not like I don't have any animosity towards her or anything. Uh, she she's the quickest ever to 700 wins, both men's and women's. And I'm going to praise that for the LSU Tigers. Um, shouts out to her and shouts out for the milestone. And it continues to roll on. So congratulations, Kim Mulkey, for being the fastest coach in NCAA basketball history, both men's and women's, to reach 700 wins. So. And lastly, before we go, now it's time. I think the unpopular topic of the day is going to be a little bit of a cautionary tale, a little bit of me gloating a little bit, saying that I know what I'm talking about, and this is just me validating what I already know. In sports, there's this thing that we talk about a lot. I've talked about a lot on this podcast. A lot of media outlets, ESPN, Fox, a lot of other podcasts, they've talked about it. Bleacher Reports talked about it. That thing is called a championship window. Some teams never have championship caliber, championship windows. As unfortunate as it is, some teams have never had a championship window. Some teams, championship windows are open a lot longer than others. For instance, the Patriots championship window was open a lot longer than most teams. Golden State Warriors championship window was open longer than a lot of other teams. The one thing about championship windows, though, is they close. And one thing that I've always said, and one thing that is true, is that once it closes, there are, there are instances where it never opens up again. So cherish what that was, or if it, or it takes so long to open back up again for some organizations. The organization that I'm talking about today is the Chicago Bulls. And how the Chicago Bulls is kind of a cautionary tale, you know. We know about the rich history of the Chicago Bulls. You had arguably the greatest player of all time in Michael Jordan. Six championships. Could have been more if Michael Jordan didn't retire for two years. The Bulls dynasty is one of the greatest dynasties in sports history. There was a time where you looked up and there was nobody even close to the Bulls. And any single time the Bulls went to the NBA Finals, you kind of knew that they were walking out with the Larry O'Brien trophy. Their championship window was a decade. But have you 
really taken a look at the Bulls since that that championship window. Now, yes, they've had moments. They've had players. They've had flashes. We, they, we saw Derrick Rose, youngest MVP in NBA history. We saw Jimmy Butler. We saw Joakim Noah. We saw Paul Gasol in later half of his career. We saw Rajon Rondo later half of his career. We saw Dwayne Wade later half of his career. We saw the excuse me. We saw the Chicago Bulls make it to the Eastern Conference Finals to ultimately lose to LeBron James and the Cavaliers. We've seen moments. But we've never seen the Chicago Bulls get back to that championship caliber level that they used to be. And they damn sure ain't got no dynasty type level that we have seen in the past. Things, moments can shape a history or the history of a team for the longest and and this kind of goes back to my previous topic Orlando Magic Dwight Howard leaving changed that franchise for so long that they're just now getting back to relevancy Um, Cleveland LeBron James leaving. That changes the trajectory of a team. Now, yes, you have Darius Garland and you have Donovan Mitchell, but nobody really looks at Cleveland as a championship caliber team. In fact, right now, Cleveland sits at eighth in the standings. Jordan retiring for a second time. Mo. The only reason the championship window isn't completely closed for the Golden State Warriors because they have a generational player still playing at a at a elite level, and that is Steph Curry. But if you look at everything around him on that team, Draymond Green has slowed down, and he's become more of a nuisance, at least recently, than a solution. Klay Thompson is not what he used to be. Andrew Wiggins is not what he used to be. Championship windows close. And when they close, it, it it sometimes never opens back up. You look at this Bulls team. Just look at the state of this Bulls team. You have players that don't fit with each other. A bunch of one-dimensional players. They've been talking about blowing this up for the longest. They just haven't done it. DeMar DeRozan's about to be up out of here. Zach Levine's about to be up out of here. I know that they they saw this grand picture with them two and Lonzo Ball, but I would I would push back and say even with Lonzo Ball, I don't think that this was a championship. That would have been a championship caliber team. Especially when you look at the landscape of the of the NBA. This team is 
the Chicago Bulls right now is in that place that you never want to be. I know there's two places. There is the middle of the pack. Never want to be that. That's kind of like the Brooklyn Nets right now, the Atlanta Hawks, the Utah Jazz, the Houston Rockets. You never want to be middle of the pack. You also never want to wallow in dysfunction. I say this a lot. You never want to be the last to change. Well, the Chicago Bulls is the prime example of a team that is last change. We know they should have been blew up, this DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine pairing. Now you look up. Now they're probably going to have to give up more than they originally want to because nobody, they know, everyone knows that they have to go. One of them has to go, or both. Now you're not going to get that good of a job. It's... it's mm. The Chicago Bulls is a cautionary tale. I say this a lot. Never be the last person to know that you need to pivot. Never be the last person to know that you need to change. Well, the Chicago Bulls have missed that point. Kind of like the Wizards before they did what they did. The Wizards should have... John Wall, when the John Wall, Bradley Bill, you knew you hit the ceiling. But they just kept trying. Now you see the predicament that the Wizards is in. Well, the Bulls have, should have been done that. And the last thing I'm going to say is, like I've said before, cherish championship windows and capitalize on championship windows. That's why I never understood why people so aggressively bank on the future instead of the present especially when they have a championship caliber team because if you look at the Bulls the Bulls should be the prime example of why you should not do that because look at the Jordan Pippen, Steve Kerr Will Purdue Luke Longley, Horace Grant uh, Tony uh, Tony Ku coach Phil Jackson as the coach. You look at that team, that dynasty. Dennis Rodman. You look at that dynasty and compare it to what we're seeing from the Chicago Bulls today. The Chicago Bulls could not be further from a championship. And the only reason why they're not considered the worst team in basketball is because the Memphis Grizzlies, the San Antonio Spurs, the Washington Wizards and the Detroit Lions also, I mean, the Detroit Pistons also exist. A team that once had a dynasty. Now. Arguably one of the worst teams in basketball. Why? Because that championship window closed and they didn't know what to do after that. And there you have it. 
That has been today's episode of the Unpopular Podcast. I truly, truly appreciate you guys. If you want an Unpopular Podcast shirt, hoodie, sweater, long sleeve joggers, the link is in the description below. I have multiple different colors, multiple different designs. Get your Unpopular Podcast merch today. Also, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Please subscribe to wherever you're listening. I'm trying to grow the YouTube channel as much as I can, and I appreciate everyone that's following. I appreciate everyone that has followed. Tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. If you like the content, spread the content. I definitely appreciate that. Uh, the more the merrier, obviously. Also, subscribe. Uh, follow the socials. Follow Inst- or Instagram. Follow TikTok. I post pretty much daily. That if you want to have a conversation with me, if you want to debate with me, those are probably the places that you'll go to fastest. Um, just keep it respectful and we'll debate. I understand that not everyone's going to agree with what I say. Not everyone's going to agree with my takes. If you come respectful, pause, and we will, we can have a conversation. We can have debate. It's fun. You know, I like engaging with you guys when it is respectful. So keep that man. Um, yeah, man, until next time, much love.